This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. Welcome back. This is Roger Stone with our very special New Year's Eve edition of the Roger Stone Show. Joining us now is Hank Sheinkoff, a veteran Democratic political consultant and strategist, uh, one of the key figures in the uh, upset re-election of President Bill Clinton in 1992, Uh, a man who has worked in over 700 campaigns, both nationally and internationally, Uh, someone who has an incredible uh, win record, uh, but also brings a historical perspective to both American and New York State and city politics. Uh, Hank and I are in different parties, but there is no one whose political judgment I respect more in America today than Hank Shankoff. Hank, welcome to The Roger Stone Show. Roger, thank you for having me on, and uh, I'm greatly embarrassed by that more than generous introduction, but thank you very much for your kind words. Well, your track record speaks for itself, uh, and uh, the reason I like to interview is because sometimes uh, a lot of Democrats won't come on the show. That's understandable. Uh, those who do always have their partisan hat on. The thing I like about you, Hank, is that you're you're brutally honest. Uh, you, you don't you don't color your analysis with your preferences. Uh, you know, I try to avoid that uh, as much as I can. It's hard uh, because you're a, a loyal Democrat, but uh, nobody really understands the business and the dynamics of what's going on. So let's kind of start with the 2024 uh, presidential campaign. Uh, and let's let's start with the Republicans, uh, not your party, but mine. Uh, how do you see this unfolding? Well, um, if I were working for Nikki Haley, I'd be putting a lot of money into New Hampshire. I'd be doing a real field organization on the ground and uh, try to to create some kind of an upset, and I would hope that I come within, you know, uh, less than double digits uh, behind Trump in New Hampshire, and that would be a great win for me were I her. And I can see how you do that kind of campaign. It's about organizing, going door to door. I know if she started it, but if she hasn't started, she should have started a long time ago. Absent that, Donald Trump's the nominee, um, and the question then is what happens in November of 2024. And today, based upon the polling data, we see. Donald Trump is the president of the United States come January uh, 2025. To to what extent do the results uh, in the Iowa Republican presidential caucuses, which take place really 15 days from tomorrow, uh, impact New Hampshire? I think they have a significant impact for different reasons. I think they balance off New Hampshire. What do I mean by that? Evangelical Christians and others in Iowa will pro- will likely uh, put their muscle and strength behind Donald Trump, which will give him a boost going into New Hampshire. Now, more uh, moderate, uh, I don't like moderate, but more uh, traditional Republicans in New Hampshire uh, who have, like to give surprises to people uh, might uh, bring it a lot closer to New Hampshire than people think, regardless of the Iowa outcomes, because the nature of the populations that are voting. 
much more conservative, much more centrist, much more middle uh, America, uh, much more evangelical, uh, much more like the, the MAGA Republicans. And New Hampshire probably is, uh, by its very nature, is a, kind of a different kind of place, I think, Roger. So uh, if, it's, if, if it's a wash, if it's a, if it's a knockout in, New ha- in Iowa for Trump, it may not be a knockout for Iowa in, uh, for, excuse me, for Trump in New Hampshire. There is the difference. Does Nikki Haley have to beat Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, uh, in in Iowa to get the kind of forward momentum she needs to score in New Hampshire? It would appear that way. She's got to have she's got to appear that she's got a shot. And the only way she gets a shot is by getting past DeSantis. Absent that, it's hard to see how she uh, has the momentum going into New Hampshire, even if she's organizing and making it work. It's just, why? Because the field is so stacked for Donald Trump. Um, he has, his numbers are, unless pollsters are complete idiots, and sometimes they tend to be, but uh, unless, you know, he, it's just going all his way. DeSantis thinks him, that he's the only one that can get even close. Nikki Haley has to make that untrue in a very significant fashion. Yeah, I think DeSantis has made a giant mistake in setting his expectations much too high. Uh, I'm reading in the New York Post two Saturdays ago. He he says he will, quote unquote, win Iowa. Well, to me, win is coming in first. Win is is getting more votes than Donald Trump. Yet, and I admit, and I said it earlier in the show, polling within a caucus dynamic is a little different, a little harder. Uh, but it's not so difficult that you can overcome, a, a, you know, a 30 maybe even a 40-point gap. So uh, there, there, I can see if Nikki Haley beats Ron DeSantis. Now, recognize DeSantis has visited 99 counties. Uh, he's MIA in Florida. Uh, we have an insurance crisis in our state. Uh, we have a utility rate crisis in our state. We have a rising crime crisis in our state. Uh but our governor is absent. He's in Iowa running for president. Uh, he's folded his campaign operations in New Hampshire, uh, in uh, South Carolina, uh, and in Nevada. So this is really do or die for him. Uh, I'm sure you read that great long piece in the New York Times by Maggie Haberman uh, and others about the uh, the cluster F of uh, that campaign, which is goes down in history, is one of the great disasters of all time. I mean, they've they burned through tens of millions of dollars and don't seem to have much to show for it. Uh, it is my assumption that if DeSantis cannot win Iowa, win, come in first, that his candidacy is probably done. What do you think? I couldn't agree more. I think that his expectation levels are too high. Um, the kind of campaign they've run is disastrous. Uh, if he gets even close, I mean, if someone uh, decides to go after him on the present situation in Florida, particularly on insurance, he's done. Um, you know, he'll be the he'll be the Gavin Newsom of the uh, Republican Party. If Gavin Newsom shows up, uh, should that become become a possibility, California kills him. Um, DeSantis gets within shot. Florida's crazy. Florida's problems right now kill him. So he's run a bad campaign. They, the only people that have benefited here really are the political consultants who've walked away with huge amounts of money. 
Um, and he's not created a national base of significance. It does not appear that way. His numbers are not great. The lousy campaign. Haley's within shot, although this, uh, this uh, civil war gap could be very serious for her. Um, you know, but we'll see. I, I just don't see how he gets out of this alive, frankly. And I don't see how he gets within shot of Trump. It just doesn't, he just, it doesn't smell right. If I were him, I would probably save my money and buy a house. That's what I would do. <laughs> uh, I, I agree with your analysis. I actually think he's, he has hurt his brand back here in Florida very, very badly. Uh, he can't seek uh, uh, another term. He's termed out. I predicted on this show that his wife, Casey DeSantis, uh, it will probably run for governor. Uh, Hank, you know how this is. Uh, I mean, these people are middle class people, but they get addicted to the perks. They they get they they get addicted to the private planes and the five star resorts and the uh, and the uh, the 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 membership at, at the private clubs, uh, uh, rubbing elbows uh, with millionaires and billionaires. Uh, in nineteen seventy six. When the Reagan campaign, in which I was working, was low on cash, Ronald and Nancy Reagan began flying commercial to campaign stops. Right. This New York Times story last week revealed that the DeSantis campaign has spent more on private jets for the candidate and his wife than they have spent on advertising of all kinds. Right. That, that, that just boggles the mind boggles the mind well, the p- political industrial complex ha- knows no bounds i mean we were regardless of what side of the aisle we were on when we started we were warriors we believed in something we went out to do campaigns yeah we got paid we did well uh, compared to everybody else but it wasn't on this scale the amount of money being spent was nowhere near it and you did you had to do things on less cash uh and the uh, the people that we were working for generally including ronald reagan believed in the office uh, did what they, they they did things because they thought there was some value to them, whether we liked their their politics or not. What we have instead is a class of people who simply exist to be in office at every level. Uh, the per- it's not just the perks; it's the idea. It's it's kind of I got to come up with a phrase for it. It's the it's being called governor all day long, or madam, or uh, council member, or congressman. I mean, it's not they're no longer people, and the staffs they have available to them. Um, you know, are absurd. The amount of the amount of money being spent by the public to feed um, staff, service, and attend to these people could certainly do an awful lot of good in other ways. We need bridges in this country. We need less people on a payroll. Uh, it is. Uh, uh, it's interesting. Let's let's now look at the Democrats. Uh, first of all, a kind of preliminary question: You watched the. DeSantis-Gavin Newsom debate, which if you're a political junkie like Hank and I, I'm sure you couldn't uh, you couldn't not watch it. What was that all about? In other words, why did each of them do that? And did it have any impact whatsoever on this race? Has no impact on whatsoever on this race. All it does is uh, for for junkies, for Republican political operatives and who are junkies by definition for politics, it makes them understand how easy it will be to rip Santo, uh, to Newsom apart should he become the, uh, should he, there be a vacancy and he become the nominee. Um, and all it did was make DeSantis look like a publicity hound because there was no, there was no substance to the event. It tried to position him as the, as a likely successor to, uh, as, to the Trump candidacy, not to Trump's presidency, but to Trump's candidacy, which just didn't work. I mean, you, Trump is Trump. Whether you like him or not, 
unique phenomenon in American politics, um, unique phenomenon in international politics, and not replicable in any way, nor replaceable, frankly. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at the second choice of DeSantis supporters, eight out of ten of them moved to Trump. Whereas if you look at the second choice of, say, the small but not insignificant number of Chris Christie supporters, their second choice is Nikki Haley. Uh, Nikki Haley's supporters do uh, do not move to Trump. They move back to undecided. This is why I think that the Iowa caucuses uh, are going to have some impact. Only one week in between the Iowa caucuses uh, and the New Hampshire primary. And important to note that independents can vote in the New Hampshire Republican primary. And there is no Democratic primary to distract them because uh, they independents in New Hampshire tend to lean left would be more inclined to vote in a Democratic primary than a Republican primary. The question is going to be whether twofold. One, did Nick Haley, Nikki Haley shooting herself in the foot late last week uh, make a substantial difference? I'm going to argue that it did. Uh, you know, she she not only fumbled a question on slavery in the Civil War, but she fumbled a question on the Confederate flag. Uh, but additionally, and this will be interesting from the point of view of, of uh, political science, her campaign is completely advertising driven. In other words, there are no there is no structure in Iowa. There's no, no, no precinct captains, no, no county chairman, no, no operation designed to turn out her vote. Uh, massive doses of broadcast television, cable television, digital advertising. This by tradition has, uh, while it may have some effect in, in New Hampshire, traditionally has not had effect uh, in Iowa. Let, let's, uh, uh, before we leave the, the, that debate, I guess I came away with it uh, with a view that it was very much like the 1960 debate. I mean, I thought given the weak hand he had to, to play, having to defend a California record, uh, Gavin Newsom seemed unflappable. Uh, I would even, he got in some real zingers against DeSantis. Right. I, I think he actually won on style. Whereas DeSantis made the same mistake that Dick Nixon made in 1960. He thought that what you said was more important than how you looked. And he looked tight, sweaty, nervous, uh, under pressure. Uh, it was it was interesting from that point of view. Let, let's move, Hank, to the Democrats. Um, uh, are you certain Joe Biden will be the Democratic nominee for president? I am certain today. <laughs> Um, I'm not a, uh, I'm, not, I'm not an insurance actuary. Um, I'm, that's not my business. What I do know historically is that no one gives up the presidency of the United States voluntarily. Um, the last time that uh, someone gave it up voluntarily without being under pressure was when uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson in 1968. And he, he, he even cushioned his, his uh, leaving by saying he wouldn't accept the nomination of his party. He will not seek nor will he accept was about his party first and the presidency second. You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, I don't, why would someone not want to be the most powerful person in the world? Anything a president does has an instant impact. I saw it myself um, in the White House. Um, it's not something you give up easily. And it is the place that everybody in the world wants to be. 
So I don't see that. I don't see him leaving what, and under any circumstance. I just don't think it happens that way. Uh, so uh, don't you think professional Democrats are concerned about uh, not only his inconsistent, shall we say, performance on the stump or in public, uh, the the impact of his policies, uh, rampant inflation, high energy prices, uh, the possibility of World War III, uh, and particularly immigration and its impact on the states and cities. Uh, there has to be great nervousness within today's Democratic Party. There is no question but that Democrats are nervous, and the blabbers, the professional blabbers, who live by blabbing and sourcing to reporters of consequence, um, are busy, you know, they haven't had a moment's rest. Um, can Biden explain the national condition? He can't unless he faces Donald Trump or someone that he, that he the polls would indicate he has some chance of beating in high intensity and highly driven electoral, high electoral vote states. Absent that, it's a problem. I mean, who else runs against him? Who else wins that? Uh, and it depends, frankly, on the, on the, uh, the, the, the status of the uh, legal cases that the former president may, might be facing at any particular moment. So I think that there are a lot of intangibles. That's the way that he wins, that Joe Biden wins. If not, if there are another Republican in place, it's likely that he would have a much more difficult time winning, might, would be my hunch. Yeah, um, you you definitely have a, a situation in which it, in which we get if we get a Trump Biden rematch, both men enter the contest with very intense spaces, but also very uh, both extremely polarizing. You and I talked. Go ahead, Roger. But hold on. Let me let me just add this. Not to interrupt you. Forgive me, but to put this in context, it is the changing nature of the Democratic Party and the stability of the Republicans over the last two cycles, frankly. That tells the tale. The Democrat Party, both parties are in trouble for different reasons as entities. But the Democrats are in much more trouble right now. <clears throat> they have a standard bearer, Joe Biden, who is in his 80s, um, making him out of touch with generationally with large, large segments of that party. He's got to appeal to specific groups in order to increase their intensity of turnout to be successful. If you look at the, the numbers in, in the last presidential go-around, he needs to do that. That's not likely based upon polls today. Um, the Israel versus uh, versus Hamas, or which is really the Israel versus Iran war going on right now, which is a proxy battle with, without which the United States would absolutely be at war with Iran, um, you know, is is is, is turning off uh, a whole whole generation, younger generations of people, frankly, who should uh, shut up because they paid no price and borne no burden and have done no investment in this country, this extraordinary nation and its future overall. Um, that plus the lack of intensity by African-Americans and we see in data puts him in very serious, very, very serious trouble of losing an election. Question is, is it Trump? Trump he can beat. Is it someone else? We don't know. We don't know. Yeah, I, I'm perplexed by the by the administration's seeming double game. Uh, the Democratic Party under Harry Truman is the party uh, that that uh, under which Israel was founded. Uh, yet. We are unfree. We unfroze six billion dollars of assets for Iran. We're in the midst of unfreezing another hundred billion dollars. We're taking them uh, at their word that this money will be used for non-terrorist purposes. Sorry, I I don't believe it. Uh, yet 
uh, and we seem to be putting restraints on Israel and their ability to defend themselves, which I really find outrageous. Uh, Yet the most recent survey I saw showed that in a matchup with Joe Biden, uh, Donald Trump only receives 22 percent of the American Jewish vote. Well, because the 11th commandment is thou shalt be democratic, but the larger issues, if you if you get out of the uh, out of the the uh, the idiotic politics of it, and you look at the long term problem for the United States of America. Nothing has changed since 1948. Control of the Mediterranean basin is critical to American security internationally. Simple. We lose control of the Mediterranean basin, which is what Iran understands, which is what the Syrians, excuse me, the Russians understand. That's why they're in Syria. We lose control. We'll be eating grass here in five years. Don't even think about it otherwise. Our enemy is Iran, unquestionably so. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a conflict that goes back into the 40s, frankly, if you look at the history of the region. Um, and the Israelis are the only choice we have. We have no other option. Should they fail, should they not defeat Hezbollah and Hamas, um, and should the Houthis go unchallenged and unchecked and not killed, um, we are in very serious trouble. We are as close to World War III as we have been since the Cuban Missile Crisis. The only reason the world hasn't blown up is because of this most extraordinary nation um, that has done so much to protect the rest of the world with its own foibles. We've, been, we've made some mistakes, but overall, this nation has kept the world safe through a balance of power where strength um, has, has prevailed and weakness has failed. Um, and we are now at a point of where we're being tested. If the Israelis fail, we're finished here. It is only a matter of time before our enemies laugh hysterically and wind up on the East Coast. It's just a matter of time, or the squeeze play. China on one side threatening the West Coast, uh, the, our enemies in the Middle East, and with their Russian helpers uh, challenging the East Coast. If Americans don't believe this, they're deluding themselves. And 9-11 proves that our enemies can cross those, those oceans. Um, we didn't believe it before, but we should really believe it now. Uh, I, I really could not uh, agree more. Uh, Hank, last time I had you on, uh, you referred to the toxic mix uh, for Democrats that included uh, open borders uh, and mass illegal migration. We're seeing that playing out in the streets of New York right now. Uh, what is the impact of that on election 2024? Um, no one cares if New York you know, nationally blows up. I mean, it's just not important to them. But what is important is chaos. <clears throat> and what we do know, Roger, historically, and you, you've certainly been a participant in these events, is that when there is chaos, people tend to vote much more conservatively. They become more afraid. Um, the Republicans have become the party of the white Catholic working man in this country, which is a, and women, which is a tremendous shift if you look at our history going back to, to Al Smith and the anti-Catholicism that, that created the modern, Repub- modern Democrat Party. Um, those folks are beside themselves because they see their opportunities being taken away by people who have no right to be here from their perspective. The end result of that is a probably vote against the cities where the migrants are located, a, a, a vote for Republicans wherever possible, where it's logical, because of a fear that crime is getting out of control, whether it is or is not, and that the chaos is unwarranted and must be defended against. Those are moments when Republicans tend to do well. Ask Richard Nixon, may you rest in peace, where, you know, Nixon's the one. Those ads of 1968 became the benchmark um, for ads of the future where, because that, that campaign created the negative ad as we know it. So that's where we're going. That chaos will be the subject of independent expenditure campaigns across the country 
by sources, all kinds of money going into 2024. We haven't even begun to see it, but that chaos will un- is the is the thing that could, frankly, undo Joe Biden and undo Democrats. The Senate certainly in play uh, for the Republicans with an advantage there. The U.S. Senate, the U.S. House, a toss today. You'd have to give it to the Democrats. But who knows what will happen if the chaos and the sense that things are out of control, largely a product of the migrants, um, continues. It does seem to be, as you put it, uh, a toxic mix. Uh, Because all politics is local, let me... Uh, let me pitch you a curveball. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams uh, seems to be mired in various problems. There's a corruption scandal. Uh, there's a, a crime spike. Uh, there's a, a illegal immigrants destroying his budget uh, and causing chaos in every borough. Uh, I stress for this broadcast uh, that there are no charges against Mayor Adams. No, he's not been charged with any crime, nor has he been convicted of any crime, but uh, these stories are not good. Uh, And then I saw in the New York Post a story of of a poll because in the event that Adams was, had to step down, uh, you would have, you would not have Republican and Democrat primaries the way you normally would have, but in a special election, you would have what they call, uh, in California, a, a jungle election in which everybody of all parties, uh, runs at the same time. Uh, and the poll that I saw showed former Governor Andrew Cuomo, uh, with the largest number of votes. Uh, is a comeback by Andrew Cuomo who has $60 million in campaign funds in the bank. Is that a real viable possibility? It is an absolutely viable possibility, and it depends to a large extent, like all possibilities on the kind of campaign would he run, were he to be in play. It has to be a campaign that says, look, uh, should, and this is only should the the, the incumbent Mayor Adams, um, unfortunately for him or for whomever, uh, not be in office at the time because of a, who knows what. I don't want to speculate on that. But should that be the case, Andrew Cuomo's argument is a very simple one. Look, it's 2024. I'm running for this office. We have real problems. We've got a budget problem. We've got a spike in some kinds of crimes. People feel uncomfortable. I'm an expert on homelessness. I can deal with it. I'm an expert on infrastructure. I can fix it. I'm an expert on organizing things. I can fix the crime issue, make our police work, that they're respectful to the community and doing their job. I'm only asking you to let me stay in office until the elections in 2025. And if you like what I've done, we can talk about it then. But in the meantime, I'm here to fix the problems and bring us back together again. I know I've made some mistakes, but I'm the right guy for this moment because I know how to make things work. That's his argument. If he strays from that, he gets killed. (laughs) It's simple. If he stays to that argument, he has a higher probability of winning. He has loyalty among African-American voters. Uh, They trust him. They also think he was wronged. Uh, other people certainly do. Um, if he makes it, I can fix the moment problem issue. It's going to be tough to get past him. But if he takes a longer view, he has a, it creates that great wedge opening, Roger, that you and I know a lot about, where someone can walk in and smack him and get away with it. That's the kind of campaign he's got to run. And it's got to be a faith-based campaign that brings people together, believing that the religion called New York, which put more, more, more immigrants okay, into play across the country, and help create this most extraordinary nation in the 20th century. Um, he's got to make that real for people. He's got to make people believe. You know, they have this sense about the mayor of New York City 
that, that and and I, there are plenty of examples of this, Koch, Giuliani, and others, that when they go to sleep at night, he turns the lights off, and when they wake up in the morning, he turns the lights on. Someone's got to make people feel that way, especially after the trauma they're presently experiencing. All right. Unfortunately, we're out of time because I could talk politics with Hank Sheinkoff forever. Hank, thank you so much for joining us on the Roger Stone Show. Folks, uh, on behalf of Mrs. Stone and I and the entire family at 77 WABC, uh, let me wish you a happy, healthy and safe new year. And please hold on because my great friend Joe Piscopo is going to be right along with Sundays with Sinatra.